the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We're so glad you're with us. So is Pete Paquette. He does the engineering. Andrew Herdliska produces the show. And I want to introduce you to Andrew Carter. He's in Inglewood, California, founder, lead pastor of Royal City Church. Uh, We're going to talk about his book, Privilege of Prayer. Andrew, welcome to Orlando. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, how did this book come about? Why was it important to write? Uh, prayer absolutely changed my life. Really? Uh, understanding, yeah, the privilege of what it is. It's been a game changer for me. Um, so you open your book with a question. What is prayer? And then you talk about my journey into consistent prayer and prayer basics and a biblical template for prayer. I want to hear all about this. Yeah, so prayer is really uh, open, honest communication between yourself and the creator of all things. And so, you know, my journey into consistent prayer started with being in the fitness industry. I, I understand the importance of being disciplined and consistent. That always equals results. And so in the same way, I applied that to my spiritual journey of, hey, I don't always feel like praying. I don't always know what to pray. But if I show up consistently and discipline myself, there's got to be some kind of result. He's got to show up. So that was kind of the the basis of that consistent showing up and communicating with God. What are some of the prayer basics? Please tell me. Uh, Yeah, some of the prayer basics really is uh, gratitude, being thankful, being grateful, not always just coming to God with your hand out, but rather with your hands up um, of just praising him and thanking him, realizing that. Uh, he's not here just to take a, a laundry list of the things that we need, but he really wants communion, connection, and intimacy. So those are really the basics to uh, the posture that you should come to prayer in. And then um, the biblical template for prayer is just found in Matthew. And the Lord's Prayer, he breaks it down for us. Jesus gives us the template, and it's honoring God. It's, uh, again, being grateful. It's also having repentance, and it really seasons and gives us the the model on how we should be praying on a regular basis. My guest, Andrew Carter, talking about the privilege of prayer, and then the big chunk of your book, What Hinders Your Prayer Life and How to Fix It. So I'm going to set you up with uh, each one of these. 
Tell us about combating feelings with truth and authenticity. What does that mean, Andrew? Oh, man, the, the enemy is a liar, and the enemy likes to, the enemy being the devil, likes to be loud and wants us to make choices and decisions based on our feelings and emotions. And I don't know about you, but my feelings and emotions aren't always accurate. I could go from feeling happy to sad in just a text message. And so if I'm making choices and decisions based on those, I'm not making really good decisions. And so uh, my decisions and choices need to be rooted in truth that comes from the Bible, truth that comes from the mouth of God. So I can feel like I'm alone, but the Bible says that God is always with me and will never leave me nor forsake me. So that's an example of like, don't always listen to your feelings. Your feelings will lead you astray. You've got to keep coming back to the truth of the word. Now tell us about turning from sin toward repentance and a pure heart. Yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're fallen beings. Um, we're not going to be perfect, and God's taken that into account. He saved you knowing that you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to fail and fall short and miss the mark. And just understanding that whatever you do didn't catch God off guard, and he's a big enough God to handle your mishaps. And so turning from those, because sometimes we sin or we make a mistake, and we turn our back on God or we get frustrated or think that he can't forgive us, but it's really turning from that sin, repenting, and going back to God to allow him to help put the pieces back together. Now, the next topic is exchanging offense for forgiveness and unity. Oh, this is a good one. This will, this will get people riled up because uh, I think a lot of people walk around offended, especially in today's day and age. You know, everybody is a victim. Everybody um, has a platform where they can voice their opinion. And really that flies in opposition of how Christ wants us to live. We need to be forgiving and we need to seek reconciliation and forgiveness and unity. And so really it's just reflecting on your life. What what bur- bridges have you burned? What what hold, what things are you holding on to? Where are you resenting individuals? Like keeping a short list of wrongs done, getting those things wrapped up and moving forward. Next topic, eliminating distractions to find consistency. Well, distractions are everywhere um, in the day and age of social media. Uh, I feel like people will say that they don't have time to read their Bible or they don't have time to pray but we'll spend an hour or two, and I think even the average of time spent on screens and devices is bigger than that at this point, but they'll spend that time aimlessly scrolling, um, looking for answers or truth or even just an escape. And so recognizing that we are many times distracted, uh, eliminating those distractions, creating safeguards and boundaries that um, free up some more time for us to get into a consistent rhythm of prayer. We're talking with Andrew Carter, and we're talking about his book, Privilege of Prayer. And we're in the uh, section about what hinders your prayer life and how to fix it. Uh, Andrew, tell us about repairing relationships to create peace and accord. Yeah, this this really piggybacks off of exchanging offense uh, for forgiveness. It's just making sure that you're 
not operating out of a place of unforgiveness or hardened heart or hard feelings. Uh, we tend to hold on to things uh, and keep a list of the wrongs done to us. And that's a big hindrance to our prayer life. We need to let those things go. Um, and again, r- forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation, but it does mean letting those things go so that you can have an open connection in your prayer life. Now explain this one. Establishing healthy physical, mental, and emotional habits. How do we go about that? Yeah, I like I said earlier, I'm a big uh, health and fitness guy. So I spend a lot of time owning a gym, building a business. Uh, I, I really understand and recognize the importance of taking care of the temple that God gave us. And I've met many a people who have really solid and strong spiritual lives, but maybe a lack in some of the other areas. Maybe they're a great spiritual warrior, but haven't taken care of their physical health, their mental, or even their emotional. And it doesn't render them useless. It just kind of diminishes some of the power that they're able to operate within. I mean, I, I think uh, of somebody who is a great spiritual warrior who might be called to a mission field, but haven't taken care of themselves physically and aren't able to answer the call because they have physical limitations that are based on their choices and decisions. And so really an hindrance to our prayer life could be, or even our relationship with God, would be not stewarding well our bodies and our minds that God has given us to basically watch over. Now I want you to talk about uh, another hindrance here, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak when you don't have the words. Boy, that's a big one. (laughs) Yeah, I think that a lot of people are getting nervous uh, or even even fearful of not saying the right thing. You know, I got people in the church and they have solid prayer lives personally, but um, they won't pray for others because they're nervous, because they don't want to be embarrassed or they might stumble over their words or say something that sounds silly. And so, you know, trusting that God has positioned them and put them in places to pray for people and that it's not by their own strength, but trusting that the Holy Spirit will speak on their behalf. They will give them the right words to say that make sense and that are actually really powerful. I've heard of people saying, well, I prayed for this person. I didn't know what they were going. I didn't know them. I prayed for them. No idea. And afterwards, they said, you spoke to exactly what I was going through. And that's evidence of the Holy Spirit coming through and, uh, you know, getting us out of the way and doing what the Holy Spirit does best, and that's reaching people. Andrew, I want you to talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. Um, Mm -hmm. So many Christians just don't really, um, I don't know, don't pay a lot of attention to it. I didn't for many years as a Christian. But here of late, boy, I'm really, uh, really very much aware of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I can talk to him. He's there. I I want you to just teach us more about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is counselor, is guide, is many times conscience. Like, the Holy Spirit is really what leads us and guides us and uh, it is powerful. It's the the expression and the life of Christ Jesus, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave in us. And 
I don't think that—I've got to agree with you. I don't think that a lot of people understand the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, but um, the Holy Spirit will nudge us. The Holy Spirit will intercede on our behalf. Um, the Holy Spirit is powerful. Uh, every day that I'm alive and walking and in tune, it's guiding me. It helps me say the right things and prevents me from saying the wrong things or entering into— uh, places I shouldn't, or you know, keeps me from arguing with my wife. It's that still small voice, many times that's whispering to us between right and wrong. I mean, I, I can't even begin to put words to the all-encompassing thing that the Holy Spirit is. But it is—it's everything. Andrew Carter, founder and lead pastor of Royal City Church, he's in Inglewood, California. And we're talking about his book, Privilege of Prayer. And when we come back, we've got one more hindrance, quelling doubts and questions by submitting to God's will. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Andrew Carter is my guest. He's in Inglewood, California. Privilege of Prayer, that's the name of his book. And Andrew, as I mentioned before the break, tell us about quelling doubts and questions by submitting to God's will. Yeah, we we all have questions, Uh, maybe doubts concerns. Uh, we, we don't always understand and know God's will or plan or even purpose. Uh, we find ourselves in storms and seasons and facing trials and tribulations that sometimes don't make sense when you're in the middle of it and might not even make sense until you're down the road. But having a trust that God knows best, He wants what's best, and that He has an elaborate plan that many times we can't even fathom. It's by putting our faith in Him that really helps us to step out and to step forward. So we quell our doubts and our questions, which are normal and an everyday part of our spiritual journey. But we quell those doubts. We open up our prayer by submitting and trusting the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, part three of your book discerning answers to prayer. And uh, the first topic I want you to tell us about, Andrew, the three most important things to pray for. What are they? What's that about? Oh, I really love, I really, really love this part um, because I believe that we need to pray for knowledge, uh, understanding, and discernment. And I I say those because many times we ask God to change our circumstance or to change the people around us, but I've come to believe that God's more concerned about changing us, changing our character, than changing what it is that we're going through. He will leave us in the middle of something in order to pull something out of us or to develop something in us because he's more concerned with our character than our comfort. And so when you ask for knowledge and understanding and discernment, it changes the focus from the external and it places it internally. So a good example would be 
uh, Lord, take away this financial difficulty. But I think that if we say, God, give me the knowledge and the understanding and the discernment and how to better tackle this financial issue, that could be the knowledge of stewarding your finances well. Maybe you're in this situation because you've spent too much on your streaming, or maybe you've spent too much on eating out, or you haven't stewarded well what you already have. So God, give me knowledge and understanding and discernment to better grow from this than just changing the situation and pulling me out of it. So I think that those are what we should be praying for in every aspect of our life so that we can learn, grow, and then become better stewards of the situations that we find ourselves in. Andrew, tell us about the next topic, how to know when God is answering your prayers indirectly. Mm, Yeah, uh, God answers prayers in multiple ways. And um, (laughs) it's just, it's one of those things where God can answer in ways that are unknown to us. And we know because many times it's not what we expect. Uh, Many times it's not even what we wanted, but we know that God provides uh, in ways that are above our pay grade or even our understanding. So we can know when it lines up with Scripture, when it's confirmed through witnesses, and when we see Him moving in ways that completely blow our minds. So that's how I usually see things that are happening and prayers that are being answered indirectly. How about the blessing of the closed door? What's that mean? God closes doors and won't allow certain things to take place because he's protecting you, redirecting you, or keeping you from settling for less. And a great example that I like to use is that Sometimes we'll pursue a relationship, and I think that this could be relatable to a lot of people. You feel like maybe you're called to a person or an individual, and you're pursuing this relationship, and it just falls apart. Things don't go well. Maybe they turn their back on you or abandon you or just things, things aren't going well. And we feel heartbreak. We get frustrated. We grieve that loss, and rightfully so. We're humans. And we're emotional creatures. And we might ask ourselves, God, why did you close that door? Why would you allow that to not uh, be everything that I thought it was? And I many times believe that God will close that door, whether it's a relationship or a job or an opportunity, because you might have been settling for less than what he created you for and found yourself in that situation because you strayed from his will. He could be protecting you from things that you don't see, or he could be redirecting you leading you in a way that lines up more with his planned purpose and desires. Next topic, what to do when your prayers are answered. Mm, This is probably one of my favorite chapters because God answers our prayers in a number of ways that we don't always like. Uh, One being the answer could be no. You know, we'll, we'll sit and say, oh, well, I've been praying about something and praying about something, and he hasn't answered. But the truth of the matter is that God could have answered. You just didn't like the answer. So you could have been praying for this job opportunity, and you're not seeing any movement, and it comes back as denied or declined. And you're upset because God didn't answer, but that's not the truth. He did. You just aren't happy with how he answered it. He could say no. He could say not yet. 
right? Have patience. We're going to go in a different direction. Or he could say yes. And so when he says no, yes, or not yet, we are to give him praise, glory, and honor. And I know that it's hard to give him praise, glory, and honor with a no or a not yet, but his no and his not yet have goodness and love and mercy and grace written all over them. So when you receive or don't receive what it is that you pray for, you've got to give him the praise, glory, and honor that he deserves because whatever he's doing, wherever he's taking you, is so, so good. Now, here are two other questions. When to pray and where to pray? Ooh, everywhere and all the time would be my answer. Um, Prayer isn't just something that you do uh, for a couple of minutes. Now, I have dedicated prayer time where I devote time and energy to praying in a position of surrender, which is on my knees. But when I'm driving to my next appointment, I'm praying and conversating with God. When I'm washing the dishes, I'm praying that God would relieve me of this duty, but I'm praying nonetheless through it. I'm praying without ceasing and in constant conversation and interaction with God. And like I said, there's an intentional time where I have a spot, I have a war room, I have a place where I'm very intentional, but God's not going to say, hey, I don't want to talk to you because you're not here or you're not there or it's not this time. He always wants that intimate conversation with you. So anywhere, all the time, that's where you should be praying. Andrew, have you ever thought, God in heaven, millions of people praying to him, uh, all at the same time perhaps, millions, countless, endless millions praying to him. How how does he he pay attention to us, just me, you? How does he do that? Mm, The mysteries and the, the, the vast reality of who God is can't even begin to be comprehended. We can't even begin to understand. I wish I knew, but there's something inside of me that I just know that he has the ability to handle all of our prayers and to answer them on time without fail. None slip through the cracks or fall between the couch cushions. Uh, uh, He's good and he's faithful. And I, I believe that's a part of our faith is we have to have faith just like we believe he parted the Red Sea or Jonah was enveloped by a a whale for three days and lived in in his belly. Like it's one of those things where we have to have faith and believe that God is great enough to be able to handle things that our minds can't even comprehend. Andrew, um, what do you want people to take from this chat and from your book? Yeah, I would say that prayer is not an obligation not something that has to be done or it's not something that you check off the list after you recite uh, a quick prayer. I want people to know that prayer is a privilege. And because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made, we have the boldness and the authority to go directly to the throne of grace and to be able to have a conversation with God, the creator of all things. That's not to be taken lightly. That's not something to just breeze over or just to set aside a few moments. Like That should be the centerpiece of our day. We get to do life hand-in-hand, in partnership, collaboratively with God Almighty. Please don't think that it's a burden 
or that it's an obligation, please understand that prayer is a privilege, and you should be taking full advantage of that. Andrew, tell us about uh, Royal City Church. Royal City Church is a thriving ministry in the heart of Inglewood, California. Um, Inglewood right now, as you mentioned earlier, the home of the dynasty Lakers of the 80s where the forum once reigned. We have uh, a stadium that hosts the Los Angeles Chargers and the Los Angeles Rams. We have a new stadium coming up that is going to host the Los Angeles Clippers all within uh, less than a mile radius. They're all side by side. So this is a city that is, has life being breathed into it. We host the Olympics in 2028. There's life and there's this new sense of things are shaking and moving. And God has positioned Royal City Church here to be a light in a place where people are looking. They're, they're traveling from far away to come and be a part of this city and what this city is doing. And Royal City Church has been positioned for a time such as now to be an attractional church where the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached and lives are being changed. Uh, it's diverse. It's multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational. And the Spirit of God is moving here in Inglewood. It's a beautiful thing. Andrew Carter has been our guest. The book, Privilege of Prayer. Go get it. And we're back for more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back with you. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Andrew Carter, our guest in that first segment, Inglewood, California, talking about his book, Privilege of Prayer. Well, we go from Inglewood, California to Lake Wales, Florida. Dr. Dorothy Logan is there, author of The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. Dorothy, welcome to Orlando. Uh, nice to catch up with you. How are you? Thank you so so much for having me. It's, it's really good to be here. Tell me about this book. Well, it was kind of birthed out of this idea that um, although the American fabric has been unraveling for a while now, it's happening so quickly it's difficult to ignore. And so it, I also don't believe people understand really what the fabric of of our society is made of. So I wanted to put it out there for the average reader, the non-academic, to really understand where we are in the country right now and where we're going if we don't do something about it. Uh, you open your book with uh, chapter one, A Republic, If You Can Keep It. What are you writing in chapter one, Dorothy? Well, this is the part one of the book is really a primer on the foundations of our country. And so in chapter one with a republic, if you can keep it, you know, that's a it's a play on the, the quote by Franklin is essentially this is how it was designed and what a republic is, because a lot of people will throw in there, well, we don't live in a democracy, we live in a republic. Well, what does that actually mean? So uh, it outlines the difference between a democracy and a republic, which is very, very important. Um, probably the most important aspect of the book is in chapter one. And then the idea that we didn't keep it. We we haven't kept our republic. Um, and because it was, you know, it's only 
designed for a religious and moral people, and um, they're, we're not moral anymore. We, we've given away, and this, you'll see this in the rest of the book, uh, book's table of contents, too, is we've given, given away this idea of natural law, that there is an immutable right and wrong and a standard by which to measure those, those concepts. Topic two, <clears throat> you call it the American experiment. Fill us in. So the American experiment is essentially we we did something new. People are thinking, oh, it was revolutionary what we did. It really wasn't. Um, if you look at the founding documents, the it, it was revolutionary, but it wasn't new. The great what we did that was new was the creation of a constitution that that for a government that's doing something different than any other government uh, before in history, and that is to protect the rights and liberties of the people within the borders of that country. That had never been done before. That was never the role of government to simply protect rights and to protect liberties of the people. And so uh, that's why also we're, we're losing it, because that only works if we're good, right? So, But um, the American experiment was like, let's see if this new role of government can last. And then I talk about how, again, it, it, we've kind of failed at that. The experiment has failed. Next topic, number three, the United States Constitution. So this is, again, <coughs> they understand maybe the, the Bill of Rights or that aspect of it. But I believe the American Constitution is a very brilliantly written document. And most people haven't read it, even, if, even though it's so short. So I take apart the American Constitution and how it fills in and how it was supposed to protect us from government and how um, it was supposed to constrain government and all the different aspects and avenues through which we had power because of the people had power instead of the government because of the way it was constructed. And then I also pick it apart and, and show where we failed. So this is kind of build each chapter builds on, on, the, on the last so we've failed in in that the government, we as a people, we don't understand these things. And because we don't understand them and don't care to understand them because we've been living in such a luxurious idea of freedom for so long, we don't think we need to understand them. The, the, our government has uh, taken that, that opportunity full circle and has taken, instead of doing the role of protecting our rights and liberties, has decided to take our power from us. And because we're not paying attention to it, they've been able to get away with it um, pretty easily. Let's move to topic four, Dorothy. The artificial conscience. What's that mean? That is what I call the Constitution. I, I do explain in there that the idea of the conscience um, within people, Plato's idea of the conscience, where we struggle between what we feel like doing in the moment and what we know is actually the best thing for us to do. Like we live in that constant struggle in, in that in-between existence. And I call the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, the artificial conscience, the conscience of the entity that we call our government, right? This is supposed to bring about debate and deliberation so that our government doesn't simply do what it wants to in the moment, but what they really want to do for the benefit of the country. It's supposed to be the conscience of our country, and not just for the politicians in power, but for us, too, so we can look at the government and not expect them to solve all our problems in the immediate future right now, what we're looking at, but how to 
look farther ahead and decide what we really want uh, the solution to be and if the government is even the right entity to to solve that problem. Unfortunately, again, we do look to the government to solve all of our problems. We even look to them to do the thinking for us when it comes to telling us what our problems really are. And so the, the, the artificial conscience is the Constitution which outlines how that's supposed to work. Now, uh, we also know if we ignore our conscience long enough and often enough, we tend to not care about the future down the road. It doesn't hurt as much when we do something wrong. And I think we find ourselves in, in a moment in history now where we just kind of are used to corruption and the power being taken away from us. And the government is used to doing what's pr- um, good in the moment, meaning what will get them reelected instead of what's actually best for, for the American society and the American people. My guest is Dorothy Logan. She is in Lake Wales, Florida. And we're talking about her book, The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. Uh, Topic five, natural law. What is obvious? What's what's that about? Well, this idea that, you know, uh, natural law is immutable, meaning it's not something created by man. It's it's so there was a time that we all kind of understood this, you know, and we understand natural law in physics, for example. We know that gravity and and makes things fall, if you want to think of it that way. Even though that's not exactly what's happening with gravity, we understand that, that when we drop something, it will fall. We understand that water is wet, that mountains are big. These are this is this is just what's obvious, right? And we see that in the physical world, but this is true in the the moral world and in the less the harder to grasp, right? This idea that um, you know, we can have definitions. Definitions mean something. Words mean something. We used to have an agreed upon meaning, and that used to be based on this idea of immutable natural law. You know, we can't fly just because we call ourselves a bird. We can't just jump off a building and fly. We know that, and we can put that into the physical realm, but we need to bring it back to to the, the, the less physical realm. Because also in there, another good example is, yeah, water's wet. We know that. But we also know, okay, um, we, feces are gross. We really sh- should stay away from that. Na- nature says, okay, we don't, want, we don't want to, you know, engage or eat something like that, right? So we understand that um, disease is bad and health is good and um, slavery is bad and freedom is good. These are things that are found in natural law, which is, that makes it the superior, the morally superior law is natural law because we know this is ingrained in who we are. And so what we, we've taken this, we've kind of looked to the state or the government to say, give us another law. And I want to say um, that any law that is in contradiction to the natural law is the immoral one. And so p- people like to say that, no, the government tells us what is moral. This the, uh, Science tells us what is moral. But then they confuse it. And that's the, the I think, coming up later. Yeah, the next chapter, the obvious turned obscene, we, we see that um, they take this and they want to change definitions and they want to change under- shared understanding and they want to turn all of that on its head so that, no, you know, Species are good to eat, essentially, and and being sick is good, and slavery is better than freedom. And they're actually trying to do this. They're trying to to turn the tables on uh, what natural law is and make that the immoral law, 
will where the the state, the government decides what is right and wrong, not nature itself. Dorothy, um, we've covered uh, part one, the fabric. And then in part two, you call it the two pillars. Uh, and then you write chapter seven through 11. What, what, what are the, what's the two pillars thing? What's that mean? Every civilization, on, we can say the American society, but every civilization is held up by two pillars, shared language and and shared, or you can call it shared meaning, but shared language and shared um, values or shared religion. And this is true throughout. So I describe what that is and why they support a civilization. And if you start to take out one of the pillars, they're really dependent upon each other. That whole lintel will come crashing down because if you take out one of the pillars, it will knock out the other one. And then the entire civilization comes crashing down. And we can see this happen throughout history. The United States is no different. And then the the rest of those chapters talk about how those pillars have created the, the cracks that are in those pillars and how they're coming apart and how that's going to lead to the, the ultimate destruction of the entire civilization where it comes down to like open borders. I talk about that gets its own chapter because it attacks um, both pillars on multiple fronts. So it gets its own chapter. But then when I talk about shared language and shared meaning, that's where we get into words matter. Um, words matter. And it's not just about, cause we don't all speak the same language, but in the West we've had shared understanding and shared meaning of what that, of what our words and language mean, which then leads us to chapter 10, Christianity and the second pillar, meaning this idea that our shared meaning in the West comes from this idea of Christendom. And so to alter the Christianity is actually the ultimate defender of our shared set of values, which is why it's very, very important for those who want to destroy our civilization to take out intentionally the role of Christianity and the shared meaning that comes essentially from the scripture, the the Bible that has united the Western world um, for a thousand years. Dr. Dorothy Logan is our guest, the book, The Unraveling. I'm your host, Pat Williams. It's the Saturday Power Hour. Uh, You're tuned in to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Stay with us. Dorothy Logan will be back, and we'll continue the chat. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Dr. Dorothy Logan is in Lake Wales, Florida. We're talking about her book, The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. And we're in part two of your book, Dorothy. And uh, the two pillars, and in chapter 11, uh, this is interesting. It's simply called the pandemic. I want to, I want you to explain that. Well, this is really what pushed me over the edge into writing this book, was um, how in 2020, and then in 2021 as well, but in 2020, how we so willingly gave up all of our freedoms for security, all of our freedoms for public health, all of our freedoms to be on the right side of, of virtue, what the government told us was the virtuous thing to do. And and so we see in the pan, throughout the pandemic, there's so many analogies of how they have used 
the um, unraveling of our country up to this point to convince us that we want to give up our freedom, that we want to turn the civilization on our head, that we are we want to hand over all power and control to an all powerful government. It was and it was I see it kind of as a as a social experiment, but also divided us further. We know that the polarization in this country is so great, but when with the pandemic it became so stark. These are more we create hostility, suspicion, we devalue life. Every it really fed into the greater goal of destroying um, our relationships and this the fabric of those relationships that is the last the last threads that hold this this country together and the society together as we try to live well together. They tried to prevent that for a very long time, longer in some places than others, but to um, really destroy the bonds of the Americans between one another through suspicion, hostility, and social isolation and, and those sort of things. So it gets its own chapter. Now, um, in this whole area of Unraveled, which is part three, you open it up uh, with a topic called the new normal. Explain that, Dorothy. Right, because then we come out of the pandemic and we're supposed to accept this as a new normal. And a lot of people believe, oh, it's over, right? We, we've gotten past that. But we're not. We haven't. It has fundamentally changed the way we view everything else. And so we, we have this idea, okay, we're, it's, everything's back to normal. But it, but it isn't. This will have an indelible mark um, on the society, on our own, on the soul of the American uh, experience. In that we now expect people to disagree with us. We are suspicious. We are hostile. We are, uh, and we're supposed to just accept or not. Like it depends on which side you're on, right? This it comes down to the new polarization and um, the new religions, the new shared. I mean, where are our shared values? And so um, I think that was really important to include because it leads right into the next chapter: divided and undone. The new normal is. We're divided. It's it's almost impossible to put us back together. And the 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 pandemic and this new normal and our acceptance of this as good and normal and back to the way things were has actually blinded us to the to the fact that we are divided and undone. And if we don't do something about it, there's absolutely no way to to get our country back. Now, hope and change. Topic fourteen. Uh, what are you explaining to us there? Hope and change. Well, I think, you know, we, I, this goes back to this idea of we're going to fundamentally transform America. It's a play on words. This is what Barack Obama said um, in his campaign in 2008. And, um, and I think that this idea, and he, he promised hope and change. And so there's, it's kind of a play on words because, yes. America has been fundamentally transformed, and yet, and it has been changed, but where's the hope? Where does the hope um, reside now that that the entire fabric has has been transformed and changed? And so I, I, I dive into that a little bit before I get into that, the, the last shared value, because the, the hope is, um, is in the people itself, in the principles themselves, in knowing these in, in the relationships and in authenticity and in understanding our constitution and our conscience and then authentic relationship with, with the, um, with the people around us, because the last shared value was, and I put this in the book, it was 
freedom. No matter where you were on the political spectrum, we all wanted our freedom, freedom to do good, freedom to do evil, freedom to do what we wanted to do. We all wanted freedom. But that is no longer a shared value anymore. So the the hope um, comes from this idea we need to get back to this idea that we can find common ground no matter where we are on the political spectrum, no matter how divided we think we we are, because if we can't get back there, we are completely unraveled. Unraveled. That's chapter 16. We are completely unraveled, um, and we there's, there's, there's nothing we can do. The hope is in returning to the foundational principles but also to foundational relationships and the bonds that, that we created through shared values and shared meaning. Dorothy, uh, topic 15, you call it the last shared value. Uh, can you explain that? Yeah, that's liberty. We, we, um, we have always kind of held on to this idea that we want to be free. We understand, again, natural law, slavery is bad, freedom is good. And, but yet in 2020, I actually heard someone on CNN say that freedom is the problem. And then people started agreeing, agreeing with that. Freedom is the problem here. And, and so if we can get people to even turn their back on that last shared value, we really have no hope as a society of, of remaining a society. That's that last shared value, the last shared meaning. We're, we're redefining words and we're calling the solutions to problems. You know, evil is good, good is evil, and we are just embracing it all. So the last shared value, which we might be able to get back to, is this idea of, of individual liberty. But that's a converse, another whole conversation. <laughs> Now I want you to talk about uh, a little bit more about unravel. You you uh, you, you mention it, uh, t- uh, topic sixteen, but uh, I want you to tell us more. Well, uh, we have we we're kind of just all the all the fabric is made up of these threads. The loom was you know the principle. We have these principles, and the loom uh, as the loom of the threads that wove our society together. It, it includes um, the Constitution. It includes the Declaration of Independence, the ideals that we find there. This idea of uh, natural law, and we've those threads have been systematically pulled out of the fabric, and then the relationships between people and the um, voluntary or- organizations and ways we find meaning and purpose. All of that has been pulled out of the fabric. We have corruption in government, in all of our institutions, in our media, everywhere you go. This is, you know, there's no longer a good and moral people. We have destroyed relationships. Um, the, you know, we, and then as Americans, we think if we just throw more money at it, um, it'll, it'll be, it'll help solve the problem. But really, this idea of needing the money to make changes has added to the, the shredding of, of, the, of the fabric. And there also appears to be apparent wins. Uh, and, but they're not. You know, it, all it takes is, is a tireless and irate minority uh, lighting brush fires in the minds of men. Samuel Adams, you know, said that that should be brush fires of freedom or liberty in the minds of men. But that's not the irate and tireless minority. The irate and tireless, tireless minority are those who want to overturn the system, who want to destroy the system, who want to destroy society. And so as as those who don't want to destroy the Constitution and society are thinking we have all these cultural wins, they the other side doesn't see them as losses at all. They just see them as... Um, as a way to attack, uh, find, you know, re- 
regather their troops in for the next salvo kind of thing. They find new ways to introduce these ideas um, into spaces that they weren't allowed before. They're still advancing while we think we're winning the war in some areas. We've arrived at Chapter 17. It's a question. What can we do? Tell us. Well, I have some practical solutions in there, but in essence, we have to stop needing to be right, and instead we need to live right. We have to stop need to be right and instead be curious. We need to really lean into our authentic relationships, and we have to stop worrying about all the things we have no power over. Um, we, Yes, the entire society is falling apart, but we can weave the fabric back together one thread at a time, one relationship at a time, one local or intimate solution at a time. And instead of really focusing on the division, because that's it, to, to focus on the division is to stir up all the emotion and everything that's counterproductive and feeds the division and the destruction of the country. So instead, we need to lean into to those authentic relationships and build the strength through shared meaning and shared values one thread at a time. So, Dorothy, tell us this. What do you want us to take from this chat and this book? honest, I want people to just start thinking differently. First, I want them to read the primer. I think there's so many Americans out there who have no idea what their country was built upon or what it used to stand for or what they are seeking to destroy or seeking to save. I believe there's so many Americans out there who don't know that. So read part one, right? That's like know where you're coming from. But I, after that, I just want people to start thinking differently. I, 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 uh, would love people to buy the book to help them think differently, but I actually wrote the book so I would have a platform from which to speak, to share my ideas with people who otherwise would never have heard them. So actually, yes, learn about our country, learn to think differently, and then I just um, want to take this opportunity to thank you for giving me the oppor- that my opportunity to uh, put my ideas out there on your show. So thank you very much. Dr. <clears throat> Dr. Dorothy Logan has been our guest. She is in Lake Wales, Florida, and uh, talking about her book, The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. I just want to let you folks know that you've been listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've been doing this for many years and always so pleased that you join us here on AM 990. And FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be back next weekend for more. Have a wonderful week ahead. God bless you. And uh, we'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.